If the Lord is for you, who can be against you? What about good things happen to those who are good? Or what comes around goes around? Are each of these truisms true? Jesus himself confronted these kind of questions in his own day. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus asked his disciples a series of questions, getting at really some of those questions that I mentioned at the beginning. Jesus, or Luke records, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answered them, do you think that these these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in that way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. In other words, Jesus was asking the disciples, something really bad happened to people. A tower fell on a bunch of people, really, really bad. And that horrible death that they suffered, the question was, were they worse sinners because they died in that way? In other words, does their death equate to what they deserve? We could ask the question this way, did they get what they deserved in their death? Jesus says no. Jesus is exposing a belief that good things happen to those who are good and bad things happen to those who are bad. Jesus is exposing that as wrong. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. But what about that first? You all amened to it. You know it's from the scriptures. You know that it comes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. If the Lord is for you, who can be against you? What do you think? Did David believe that? We've been told that the Lord was with David. Last week we saw a dozen times. This week we'll see a dozen more times. And where the text says that the Lord was with David. But it seems there was someone against him. How can this be true? Perhaps it doesn't mean what we think it means. Perhaps when we think, oh, no one can hurt me if if Jesus is on my side, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Oftentimes, that's how evangelists share the gospel. Look, if you will come and follow Jesus, all of your problems will be solved. And so you say, where, where, where do I sign on the dotted line? But the truth is, it seems as if when we go to follow Jesus, things don't get better. In fact, they get worse. It seems as if someone is against us, that someone wants to destroy us. 
Either way, Jesus here was confronting this idea, which I thought would be a helpful way for us to think about King David. And that question about the Lord being with us, but yet someone against us. Friend, I invite you to turn this morning to 1 Samuel in chapter 18. Many of us know the story of David and Goliath. That's chapter 17. And perhaps we don't know what happened after. We know the story of David and Goliath. Great. David defeats Goliath. What, what happened the next day? What do you do after winning the championship? You have a parade? You celebrate? Have a party? What do you do? You try to kill the man who defeated the giants. Very confusing story, nonetheless. When everything is going good, what did David do? He's done this great deed. And as a reward, Saul sentenced him to death. Let's consider it here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I invite you to open your Bibles, read, or follow along as I read this morning. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he had on and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. David had his spear in his hand, and Saul, excuse me, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him. But all Israel and Judah loved him, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Moriah. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? 
And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at that time, Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David. She was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give him to her, that, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private, saying, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to David to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before time had expired, David rose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael's da Saul's daughter loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle as often as they came out. David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. We'll read chapter 19 in just a moment. David has demonstrated trust in the Lord. He has demonstrated trusting the Lord in the midst of difficulty. And from the point of this passage, teaches us that trusting the Lord sometimes leads us down dark and difficult paths. But through trusting the Lord, we grow more confident in, in Him and find our future secure. In other words, the point of our sermon this morning is really to encourage you to trust God in the midst of trial. To, to see that trials are not averse to following Jesus. But that following Jesus means you will go through trial. Last week we learned how to trust the Lord. We learned how to trust the Lord when facing the greatest trials of life. He, David faced a great trial in Goliath. But that trial didn't end. It just turned into a new trial. But what happens to those who trust in the Lord? What happens to those who have victory? Over giants. We see in this passage really two results. Chapter 18, the result is that trusting the Lord leads you to a greater confidence in Him. And in chapter 19, trusting the Lord leads you to a secure future. Trusting the Lord teaches you to be more confident, not in yourself, but in the Lord. 
And then chapter 19, as we'll read in a moment, trusting the Lord leads you to a secure future. Well, first, chapter 18, let's consider this text. Trusting the Lord leads you to a greater confidence in Him. We are told here that David has arisen to fame. In verses 1 through 5, it really sets out the theme for the chapter. That is David's successes. The chapter begins with David's success over Goliath, his victory over Goliath. And it ends in chapter with the continual success of David. So much so in verse 30 we're told that he has more success than all the other generals in the army of Saul. David was successful. David rose to fame. Uh, Everyone began to know David. David, the name David, became a household name. Everyone was talking about David and about his victory. Not not only over his victory over um, Goliath, but also these victories that he has had in various battles. So much so that Jonathan has become his best friend. In a very strange way, you see Jonathan giving him all of his stuff. And uh, all of that is to is a gesture indicating this covenant that they are going to make. And we're going to consider more of that in the weeks ahead. And so we're not going to deal with this much this morning. But the point we're seeing here is David was successful wherever he went, in war or in, personal, in his personal life. Uh, David's success spread across his life. This sets us up for what's going to come ahead as Jonathan will save David's life on numerous occasions. Uh, This friendship will take center stage in in the life of David and will help teach him how to lead God's people. David's success will drive a wedge between him and Saul. Uh, Saul will not become closer to David, but rather further apart. And Saul's jealousy over David's success will drive him to the point of insanity. Well, if you look at the text again, look at verse 6. We're told that coming home from the battle, that is the battle with Goliath, that the uh, women came out and began to celebrate and sing. And, and what, as would imagine for most, what got under the skin of Saul was verse 7. Uh, as they were singing and dancing, they were giving praises to Saul, but they were giving more praise to David. In other words, wow, Saul, you killed a thousand. Good job, but... David has killed 10,000, right? And naturally so, Saul begins to grow in his anger and jealousy over David. This really provides for us an example of what is fueling Saul's outrage. Rather than celebrating the Lord's work in David's life, Saul is jealous and angry. Often jealousy is fueled Because we think we're going to lose something. And in fact, that's exactly what Saul says in verse 8. They have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? You see, what he was threatened by was David's rise to power because he thought he was going to lose the throne. But what we know, uh, we know the truth, which is that David already had the throne. Saul had already been abdicated. And so what we're seeing here is a tight grip on this insane leader as God seeks to dispose him. Well, we see in the text also three attempts are made on David's life. In three ways, David is uh, 
Saul attempts to murder David in three attempts. First attempt there in verses 10 through 11, we're told that Saul tries to take a spear and pin David to the wall with his spear. Uh, He raved like a lunatic in his house. And twice, we are told, uh, David evades his rage. This will continue in the chapters ahead. You will see it's almost a repeated story over and over and over again as David faces Saul, as David stares down Saul and his attempts to murder him. Saul is on a fast downward spiral uh, at this point forward. He, he hasn't hit rock bottom just yet, though it appears he is quick on his way. His jealousy will consume him and drive him crazy. And the question you have is, who's running the kingdom while he's running around trying to kill David? Uh, Further evidence why Saul should not have been king to begin with. Saul becomes increasingly afraid of the influence that David is having, and so he seeks to to kill him. look, Look with me at verses 12. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. Notice why he was afraid of David. Because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Now, we don't want to misunderstand what's happening here. This is not the New Testament understanding of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what this text is referring to is not our understanding of the new birth where we are born again and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, the Holy Spirit giving, empowering David to lead just as he had empowered Saul to leave. It was a visible manifestation of the the presence of God in the life of David and the life of Saul. What distinguished Saul from David was that the Lord was with him. That's what the text is, is uh, is driving at for us, is that the Lord was with him. And this gave David greater confidence in the Lord. His confidence wasn't in, I defeated Goliath. His confidence was in the truth that God was with him. A second attempt is made on David's life. We are told in verse 17 that Saul concocts a a brilliant plan in his mind that here, I will give my daughter uh, to David. And uh, in that culture, what would be required is a bride price. That, is, In other words, David would have to give the king something, a monetary, some possession, in order to have. He wasn't buying the wife or anything like that, but it was a, it was a gift of honor, and, and, uh, but it was the king. And so the, the price was going to be high. And, and Saul, in two ways, he says, look, look, you don't need to give me anything. Instead, you just go kill the Philistines. I want you to go out and fight the Philistines. And what Saul hoped was that through the greater frequency of fighting, that is that David was on the battle battle line more often, that he would die in battle. He thought that the more battles David fought, the greater chance that he would die. And so it was an attempt to murder him through, through the battle. Very similar to what David himself will do years later. Attempt number three, we are told, uh, is similar. And this is that he's going to give him his other daughter, 
Michael. We're told that they're in love and everything's great. And so he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get me uh, the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. And David returns with 200 in his hand. God is using these beginning trials in David's life to teach him to trust him. These will be formative experiences that are preparing him and shaping him in his future kingship. Have you ever considered the frequency of David's trials and how God used them to craft the songbook of the church? Dozens upon dozens of hymns crafted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the midst of these trials. In the midst of not one attempt on his life, but in, the, in chapters 18 and 19, you could count up to seven attempts were made on his life to murder him. Yet through this, David endures. David doesn't run away. He doesn't quit. He keeps coming back. He keeps fighting. He's growing to trust the providence of God in the midst of trial. And all the while, God is frustrating Saul's plans. I can't seem to... I mean, how hard is it to kill somebody? Apparently, for Saul, it's really difficult. He's the king. He could could sentence David to death. He could execute him on the spot. He could be like Samuel and just hack him up. But he doesn't. Because he's not in control. Friend, I wonder, how often are you frustrated when your plans don't work out? Have you ever considered that perhaps God is the one frustrating your plans? The God is the one who is keeping you from doing what you want to do? Yes, God is in control, even if you don't believe he's in control, or accept he's in control, or submit to the fact he's in control. He's still in control. The Bible says kings are raised up and kingdoms are destroyed. This is what Psalm 2, David's words Oh Lord, the nations rage and you laugh. In other words, kings fight with one another and they think they're in control and you're just in heaven laughing because you're the one who's really in control. You know, I think that David learned that through these experiences. Saul trusted in himself. He was insecure and jealous until we see just a complete contrast to the true king of Israel, King Jesus. One who was never jealous of another human being, who wasn't concerned about the kingdom slipping from his hand, but rather one who grew all the more confident in the power of God to deliver. 
Jesus was confident that his, of his Father's sustaining power in his life. While Jesus was perfect, he grew to trust his Heavenly Father more and more. Through the trials of life, he, he trusted. Even in the greatest trial on the cross, what does Jesus cry out? But the words of David, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or as the author of Hebrews tells us, looking to, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brother, sister, are you envious of other spiritual successes? Are, are you envious of others' apparent blessings? When the Lord blesses, are you jealous? Perhaps this morning, are you envious of, of someone else's marriage? Are you envious of others' children? Man, I wish my kids behaved that way. I wish they were good. I always joke with Rod. He always gets that comment the most. His kids are so good. He's like, you don't know my kids. Right? Are you envious of others' looks or financial positions or education? Friend, the list could go on. Jealousy drives us crazy and it is fueled by a trust in ourselves rather than a trust in the Lord. What fueled Saul's jealousy was the fact that he thought he was going to lose something. His confidence in what he had. And this insecurity and lack of confidence in the Lord led him down a dark road. We need to see the good results that the Lord has for us through trusting Him. Uh, it must be our joy to trust the Lord, even in the midst of some of the, the most difficult trials that we face. It's not easy. Trials are not something that you're just going to brush off your back and say, it's no big deal, Jesus has me. Uh, you're not going to have that position. And many of you have shared with me some of the trials. I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through what you're walking through. And platitudes like, I understand, or the Lord has you, does simply don't go very far in the midst of trials. When David, years later, will be on the run, I wonder if anyone, the word, ah, oh, David, I understand what you're going through. No, I don't. I don't have a king who wants to see me dead and spends all of his waking hours trying to concoct new ways to kill me. But David slowly and confidently endured. Through trial, we learn, though. And that's the point. We learn that trials are God's gift to us to teach us that He alone is sufficient. We must not grow angry or bitter in the midst of trial. Friends, trials teach us hard lessons. Lessons that cannot be learned through a classroom. There's no amount of Sunday school you can attend, no amount of sermons you can hear that will prepare you and 
teach you what a trial can. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. In other words, what Spurgeon was saying is, I've learned not to flee, but to endure. To learn that difficult waters are from the Lord. To teach me that I, I need Jesus is all I need. How has a difficult season in your life taught you to be more confident in the Lord? Have you ever considered that perhaps the Lord has, has delivered you from that so that you can tell others? To encourage others? As a congregation, we trust that sometimes our plans won't be established. We trust that sometimes God sends us through trials and that we are to encourage one another. Even as a congregation, we face trials from the lack of leadership to needing more children's workers to needing more money to fix this broken building. All of these are meant to teach us Trust the Lord. We don't need to sit around and come up with better and more creative ways. What we need to do is pray more. We need to quiet down and cry out to God. Unending sunshine leads to weak Christians. Unending sunshine will lead you to be a weak Christian. Through the fiery trials of life, we learn to have a greater hold on the Lord. Well, friend, as we move on to chapter 19, we see also that trusting the Lord leads you to a secure future. David had confidence that his future was secure, therefore he endured this trial. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if you learn anything, I will tell you. If I learn anything, excuse me, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands and struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in the house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but David eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall. 
And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, and he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, you do not, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the wall, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on a bed and put a pillow of goat's hair on its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael answered, He has said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he said, he and he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Sehu. And he said, Where is Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And when he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah, And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all day and all night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? We see throughout this various characters who save David's life. First, David's life is saved by Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul doubles down his attempt to kill David, inviting his servants into the quest. Maybe more will give me success. But because of Jonathan's love for David, he seeks to advert his father's anger and convince him, hey, don't kill him. He's, he's done good to you. And tries to reason with his fathers. And because of this, Jonathan's actions, uh, through these actions, Saul's anger is cooled. And he is again at peace with David. Although that peace, as we see in the text, only lasted for moments. We're not sure how long it, some time had passed, but we are told, uh, not really told how much, but yet again, there's war. Yet again, David is successful. Yet again, David is rising to greater fame, and we are told that the harmful spirit from the Lord returns. We see yet again the Lord provoking Saul in this way. In other words, God was the one behind this trial. And here we see David escape Saul's spear yet again, a third time. And what we see in this text, though, is that if the Lord is behind this, then Saul's battle is really with the Lord and not so much with David. Saul is battling with him in in a refusal to step down as king. Yet again, David escapes Saul's murderous plots. We're learning here that there was never really any good motive for Saul's behavior. 
Well, David is also, we're told, in verses 11 through 17, saved by Saul's daughter. Being unsuccessful in this this, uh, attempt to kill David in the previous uh, night, perhaps, he sends uh, word to his servants to go to David's house and to kill him there. And in an elaborate ruse, uh, Michael, David's wife, disguises an image, perhaps a household god, that was in the home with goat's hair. Her deception is ultimately uncovered by the messengers as they arrive and discover that this isn't David. This is just a statue hiding in the bed. It seems that everyone in this family is unwilling to follow Saul. Saul's son is against him. Saul's daughter, who's delivering David through these trials. The Lord frustrates again and again Saul's plans. Again and again, Saul is frustrated. David trusted that he would be king. David trusted his future. He knew what Samuel had told him was true. That's why he goes down there. He is trusting his future is secure. He did not give up, but he endured. And God himself continues throughout these stories that will follow, demonstrates his sovereign control over the life of David, demonstrating that God's purposes will not be frustrated, that God's purposes will come to reality. Throughout throughout the life of David, we see God at work. And even in Jesus' own life, who we know David points toward, that God's purposes were worked out. Even in the midst of Jesus' trial, even whenever Jesus faced the temptations he faced, he, his future was secure. Even in the words he told his disciples, three days I will destroy this temple and restore it again. He was confident. He trusted his future. As we consider Saul in this story, consider Saul's jealousy, his insecurity. And how does that describe you again this morning? As Christians, do we trust that our future is secure? Do we trust that God, even in the midst of trial, is working these things out for His glory? Do we believe that God is with us? As we saw last week, and considered that the future is already written, as we considered that text, that God has promised that he will deliver us, that death is not the final, but that we have life, that we may face dark days. Maybe even today you're in a dark day. Are you learning to trust the Lord? To trust that your future is secure? That's what we're believing in. That's what we're trusting in. Brothers and sisters, we must see again and again our need for one another in trials. To encourage one another. To sing the hymns that we sang today because we are in dark days. Trusting the Lord leads us to a secure future. As the Proverbs tell us, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. When David experienced these attacks attacks from Saul, He didn't complain 
He didn't question, but he turned to the Lord. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he penned Psalm 59. While he was on the run, fleeing, he wrote these words. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. Awake, come to me and see. He goes on, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph over my enemies. Verse 14 in Psalm 59, each evening they come back. Right here, the messenger's coming. Howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl. They do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. O oh God, you are my fortress. He names God strength. God, your strength. That's who you are. David doesn't say, David, you are strong. You can get through this. It's okay. Buckle down. You can endure. No, rather, he says, my future is secure. God is my fortress. He will give me the strength. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to sing. What a sweet reminder for us of how God teaches us to trust Him and depend on Him in the midst of trial. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would give us the strength to obey Your Word. Father, teach us the, the truth of Scripture. Lord, seal it on our minds and our hearts. Help us this Lord's Day to give honor and praise to You. And our desire is that You would come quickly, rescue us from our trials. Save us, we pray, O Lord, through Christ our Lord. Amen.